Good morning. Felt like we went through a little bit of, with the last song, although it's wonderful and becoming, slowly becoming one of my favorites, it's sort of a vocal uh, gymnastics a little bit. Um, Next time maybe you should stop playing the piano and just do the old traditional. (laughs) Felt like I was chasing notes the whole time. It was good. I love it. Uh, I'm so happy to be back here today. Um... And so that you know I wasn't being critical of Blake right there, I wasn't at all. I'm just so thankful for Blake, and I want to always make that public as much as I can. Uh, I don't do this to lift him up in the sense that he would be boastful or arrogant or whatever, but um, it is such a relief, uh, and with Stephen also, and with the other guys that will be preaching over time, but uh, Blake preached last week, so it's such a relief that uh, when I can, I can step down for a week or, uh, you know, take my family on a, a vacation or whatever. And I know that not only the quality, but also the, the um, truth and the good um, content behind what is being preached uh, will be the same, if not better at times. I know some of you make it a point of telling me when Blake does a better job than me. So, um I'm so thankful that we have that at our church. I mean, I think we take that for granted a little bit. Um, Some churches don't have one pastor that can preach well, and I'm just being honest. They can preach, but they don't bring the truth of the word. And although we might not always be the most palatable voices to hear, um, you can guarantee that you're going to get the word by the guys that are going to come and present it. Uh, on Sunday mornings, and even in, with the people in our missional community groups. I'm so thankful for that. Um, it's a blessing that, although it's very prevalent in our minds, we should never take it for granted. Today we're going to move on, and I'm sort of going to I'm sort of gonna take off a little bit from what Blake did and, and piggyback off of his a little bit, and because I think the thoughts from 1 Peter 3, 8, sort of continue into uh, 12, or through 12, and also really um, it's prevailing in 1 Peter 3, 2, 1 Peter, the other parts of 1 Peter 3. So we're going to sort of continue along that today, um, and we're going to look at living a life of blessing in a world of evil, living a life of blessing in a world of evil. Before we look at 1 Peter 3, 9 through 12 today, um, Let's just spend some time uh, talking with the Lord. God, you are good to us. Uh, You are better than we deserve, better than we could hope for. If we wrote out a script of our life, um, we might try to, we might be inclined to write only good things, but we know that that would mess us up. We know that the trials and the struggles that you've put, you've allowed us to go through in life, Lord, we know that those are for our good, that they build us up, they build character, they build strength. Um, not only that, Lord, but they build an appreciation for all of the blessings that you give us. They build an appreciation for this life, for this, the freedoms that we have, the, the things that we share with each other. So, Lord, thank you for writing our life in a way better than we could write it. Uh, thank you for protecting us in a better way than we can protect ourselves. Thank you for comforting us, for being peace and a in a better way that we could offer peace to ourselves or that anyone else could offer it to us. Lord, we love you for that. 
We love you, Lord, because you first love us. You gave us the ability to love you by sending your son to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin, to know true love, to know what true forgiveness is, to know what true sacrifice is. Lord, help us to never be changed. Help us never be the same after we receive that love. Help us to always be impacted by that. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for your comfort that you give us, for your, uh, your strength and knowledge and growth that you give us. Help us to be a people who grow in you every day, a people who never accept anything less than what you've required, what you've asked of us. Lord, even though we fail, even though we make mistakes, to still pursue the higher calling. Lord, speak to us from your word today. Help it to impact us in a way that changes us, that makes us, that renews us, that gives us motivation to live for you, to struggle, to, to strive, to move towards holiness. God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for this wonderful day, the Lord's Day, the day that we can rejoice and be glad in all that you have done and all that you're going to do. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and only the name of Jesus because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. Today we're going to be in 1 Peter 3, 9 through 12, and we're going to look at living a life of blessing in a world of evil. Last week, Blake did a wonderful job of leading us through the first part of uh, the scripture in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12 on how Christians can love life and see good days. And honestly, it's it sometimes just works out this way where the most, the best and the easiest way to describe what's going on in the scripture is to just take it word for word and just describe what's happening. And that's what he was able to do. And honestly, I think that is, when that happens, it's the most beautiful thing possible. It's the most beautiful passage that we can have. And, and really, Blake just did that. He went point for point by what the scripture said. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. If I could sum up what Blake told us without preaching it again, I would say this. Christians should treat other Christians well by being primarily focused on the important things and getting past those things that aren't as important. By considering the plight of all people, by having sympathy, by loving others like you love yourself, and through tenderness and humility. These truths are some of the most common truths found throughout all of Scripture, and I believe they are most necessary for honoring the Lord, and especially if we want to build up the church. Last week's message was a message most commonly uh, necessary for interaction uh, with other believers, with Christians. Now, with an understanding that we should try to treat everyone this way, these interactions will be most commonly used with Christians. This week we're going to add to the list and discover uh, how we treat those people who don't treat us well. Peter is saying, I think in verse 8, Peter is saying, do this in your general behavior. You should do this in the general way that you act. You should do this when people are, are treating you well. But people won't always treat you well, as we've seen in 1 Peter Two and first, the first part of First Peter three. You will not always be treated well, and so you will you will have to respond as a believer when you're not. You will have to respond in a way that honors the Lord when you are not. 
living a blessing, living a life of blessing in a world of evil. Look at verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you were going to ask yourself today what the biggest desire for every sane person on this planet is, every sane, I use that caveat because we're, it's the number, the pool for sane people is getting a lot less every day. But what do you think the biggest desire is for every sane person on this planet? Do you think it's health? Do you think it's love? Do you think it's money? Do you think it's power? Do you think it's freedom? Do you think it's knowledge? At every turn, one of those has probably let someone down. I think if we really get down to the root desire, the root hope of every person, every sane person on this planet, it is peace. It is peace of mind. Now, I believe that every single human on this planet is at a search in their own way, often wrongly, in their own way for peace. And I think that that search starts at religion. I think people search religion. People are created in the image of God, and therefore there is an internal desire to find God. Some people find God in the proper way. Some people find their version of God in the wrong way. Only one leads to peace. After our search for religion, it moves to relationships. I will tell you, and you need to hear this, our relationships will never be right if our faith is not right. That's why I think it goes in that order. I think people have this sort of built-in program. I need to find meaning and purpose in this world, and then I need to find comfort in someone else. But our relationships will never be right if our faith is not right. Once relationships let us down, we move on. Maybe we move down the line to money or power. And we know these things will always fail. If you don't believe me, how, what does it take for you to not appreciate your new car as you did on the first day you bought it? Maybe it's a scratch or maybe it's a dent. Maybe it's a stain on the floorboard or something like that. What does it take for you to not appreciate the shoes or the clothing that you bought on the same day that you bought it? What about that thing that you got, that toy, that the thing that you needed that you wanted? How long does it take you to stop appreciating that? Money fails. Power fails. And then when man-made religions, when marriage, when dating, when friendship, when power, when money, when they don't work, we start moving on to the more base things. I can't find God. Haven't been able to. Every relationship I've had has been messed up. Money didn't fix it. I must not be able to find the answer. I'm not going to take my own life. So I need to look for something to cope 
in the time that I have left on this earth. So people turn to alcohol. People turn to drugs, whether prescription or not, whether prescribed or not. When our search for God ends with out hope and our search for relationships in without hope and our search for money and our search for power and our search for comfort in without hope and peace, then you go to the most base things. And even there you find the answer is not there. Ultimately, the foundation for peace of mind and general peace can only be found in a right and consistent relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Peter and all of the Bible is giving us a prescription for peace, and it always starts and ends with Christ. After we find Christ and commit to growing with him, one of the very next life truths that all Christians need to know is that the world that you live in is unfair and life is not fair. If you want to do well to your, for your children and for those that you lead to the, uh, through the gospel to life in Christ, the very next thing you should say to them after, <coughs> congratulations, you have been redeemed, now find a church. The very next thing that you should say to them is that life is hard. Be ready for it. Life is difficult. Life is unfair. People are unfair. It will not get easier from here. Life is not generally full of peace because even for the person who has truly found Christ, he still deals with doubt. He still struggles with the basic things of God like reading his Bible, like prayer, like studying and meditating on the scriptures, like being kind to others, like not hating, not being angry. All of the basic things of life. He still has trouble in his relationships and with money and with power and the other distractions from peace. The sooner that we understand the world is unfair, that life is hard, that the Christian walk is hard, that people are unfair, that life is difficult, that times are hard, that love is often in short supply, the quicker we make a plan to do something about it. Friends, I think it would be ashamed if we were blindsided by the difficulty of life and the difficulty of interaction with people in general. It would be ashamed if our children were blindsided by these things because we shielded them from difficult things. What I think Peter is doing in chapters 2 and 3 is preparing the heart and minds of Christians to not be blindsided by things that regular, average people without Christ are blindsided by. He is sort of the gospel parent in this instant. In this instance. And he, like every good parent, is teaching his children how to face difficult times in the home and while they are young so that they don't crumble under pressure when really difficult times come. I tell anyone who asks, one part of my parenting style is to let my kids face and sometimes force them to face difficult situations. The more difficult situations you allow your kids to go through, the more struggles that you observe that you help out in in the appropriate time, that you watch and protect over, the more, uh, uh, the more struggles you allow them to have, the stronger they will be, the better able they will be to face those troubles as time comes. 
The more they understand how to face difficult times, the stronger they will be as adults. And from God to Peter to you and to me, we must not be caught off guard as it pertains to these negative interactions that we're going to have in life. If we are prepared for action, we respond like a new creation. What does a new creation do? Does a new creation use fleshly tactics and fleshly ways? I don't think so, because we know that this new creation is saved by the Spirit of God. So this new creation uses new ways and new tactics that are spiritual ways and spiritual tactics to overcome this opposition. we're prepared for new actions, we use new ways and new tactics. If we're caught off guard, we are likely unprepared to handle. Like that child who who couldn't handle simple opposition, we are likely unprepared to handle the opposition that life may throw our way. So often you will hear me prep you or describe to you the worst possible scenarios in order that you will be ready for any scenario. And today is probably no different. Peter in verse 8 says, Living in unity, have sympathy, show brotherly love, be tenderhearted and be humble. And even then you will still have people. Even then, even if you live that way, you will still have people that revile you and people that hate you. So what do you do when your thoughts are, Lord, I'm doing everything right. And this jerk over here is still trying to get me to do wrong. What do I do now? Let's see what Peter says. As a means of preparing our life for actions, as a means of living a life of blessing in a world of evil. I think it starts with a few commitments. And these are commitments that I've seen from these verses. You probably can find other commitments that you should make in life, but these are the four that I'm going to give you today that I've seen from 1 Peter 3, 9 through 12. Commitments. Commitment one, I'm going to be a blessing even when I am not blessed. Commitment one, I am going to be a blessing even when I am not blessed. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now the caveat for all of you, um, we will not accomplish all of these commitments perfectly every time, but we must have high and higher expectations for ourselves. Most of the time we attempt and go for the lowest common denominator. We go for the easiest route. When I think the way to be strong, the way to live blessing in a life of evil is to go for the strongest, highest, most attainable goal. And even if you fail, you've done some really good things along the way. Peter is telling us to set our standards high and not stoop down to what would have been expected of us in this situation. If you are cursed and reviled, you are expected to do what normally? To give it right back. If I'm cursed and reviled, I expect myself to give it back and to be better at it. It is understood when evil is acted upon you, when reviling, the word for reviling is abuse or abusive speech or abusive language, is given to you to do the same. But That isn't the expectation from God for Christians, for believers. 
It's actually the most basic and fleshly response to return abuse with abuse or to return evil with evil. But it is not the Christian response. It is not the new creation response. It is not the spiritual response. Romans 12 says, never repay evil to anyone. To anyone. 1 Thessalonians 5, see that no one repays another for evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. This is not just something we do for Christians. For one another and for all people. Jesus in his own word says, turn the other cheek in the Sermon on the Mount. The Proverbs say, do not say, I will repay evil. And do not say that I will return what has been done to me. Joseph, as a type of Christ, when his world was uprooted, rearranged, shifted, and terribly damaged, as a type of Christ, instead of Uh, Instead of rebuking and sending his brothers away, he forgave his brothers and he saved his family. After all, we know what our Savior did. We know what our Lord did. When he was spat on, when he was beaten... And ultimately crucified. When he was reviled even before that. He said father forgive them. We can take the easy route folks. We can take the most acceptable route. The most accepted route by culture. And we can return evil for evil. Because that, that's what you can get by with. And no one will blame you for doing otherwise. Or we can set our standards high and say, I am going to be a blessing no matter if I am being blessed by others or not. We can take the route of returning evil for evil or abuse for abuse. No one would second guess you. But the Lord says, pay to evil people what they do not deserve. And that is blessing. Pay to the abusive people what they should not get, and that is love and kindness and forgiveness. The strongest rebuttal, the strongest comeback that you can give to someone who wrongs you is to do right to them. After all, we know that even if they win now, they will not win forever. But maybe that great example like Joseph Like Stephen who prayed for the souls of those who would kill him. And one of the souls observing the death of the martyr Stephen was Saul himself. Who later was converted and became Paul. Like Joseph and like Stephen and like Jesus who said, Father forgive them. We will be the one that changes the mind and the heart of the person who reviles us. Who acts evil upon us by acting like Christ to them. Yes, of course, we have to set boundaries. Eventually, if people only abuse, it is a godly thing to cut them off, even if it's family. Yes, if people only act in an evil way towards you, you shouldn't long for their approval. That is one of the greatest aspects of having security and peace in Christ. The more secure you are in Christ, the less that you need the approval of someone who abuses you or who acts evil upon you. 
Because being secure in Christ is the ability to be a blessing to others when they don't bless you. Being secure in Christ is pursuing people for the salvation of their souls and not for the fulfillment of yours. How does one who is secure in Christ bless and not do evil or revile? You start with prayer for that person while taking action. You seek unity. You show sympathy. You love them in a brotherly way. You meet them with a tender heart. And you act humbly towards them. That's verse 8, by the way, if you didn't catch that. If after many attempts in that manner it doesn't work, you withdraw just a little bit. You do these things in different ways and with a little distance. And if that doesn't work, and this is important because the work is not over, you remove all positive action from that person sans only prayer. You can walk away from a person in action, but you can never walk away from a person in prayer. And so the way that you continue to bless someone and not have them hurt you not, and, and keep them just far enough away where they can't hurt you after you've tried everything on the list, the way you continue to bless someone is that you pray and ask for God's blessing and favor on their lives daily. You pray for the good that you pray for good for them that they cannot give to you. Your work is never done as it pertains to being a blessing to other people. The job is never over. And I've told you this a hundred times, that the quickest way to get friendly with someone who's a jerk to you, I'm not talking about someone who does evil, I'm just talking about someone who's crabby at you. The quickest way to be friendly is not to bite back, it's not to return it back, it's to pray for them. And to pray that God blesses them. And as God starts blessing them, be ready to feel good about it. There's always a way to bless and not curse. There's never a point where you say, well, I tried hard and this person just stinks a little too much. If you want to live a life of blessing in an evil world, you decide absolutely and definitively that you are going to be a blessing regardless of if you are blessed. Peter goes on in verses 10 and 12 to quote Psalm 34, which Andy read earlier, and we will see those verses next with commitment number two. Commitment number two is I'm going to speak good and true words. I'm going to be a blessing regardless of if I'm blessed. I'm going to speak good and true words. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Death and life, friends, are found in the power of the tongue. The tongue is such a small organ, but it is like the rudder of a ship that steers the life in the direction that it goes. I am first going to be a blessing, and I'm going to commit to this by speaking good and true words next. This comes out in two ways. I will not lie and defame a person who is doing the same to me. 
When I'm choosing to return, not to return evil for evil, if someone is lying about me, if someone is defaming my character, I am going to choose not to do the same to them. I am not going to lie about them. I am not going to defame their character. I will try not to make them look bad. I will try not to justify my position by making them look worse or gather people who are on my side. My words will be good and true. And the Bible says, let your yeses be yes and your noes be noes. And if my words are good and true, that is enough. My words will be good and true. You don't have to lie and speak evil if you are secure in Christ and you are trusting in the Lord. People will believe you. And if they don't believe you, then you know God does. And God has you. And that's what matters. The words and deceit of an evil man are enough to bury himself. He doesn't need another shovel full. Do you know the quickest way to be found guilty when you have been wronged? You know the quickest way to found, you can, you can go through a situation and you can do all of the right things. You know the quickest way to be found guilty when you have done wrong is to allow your mouth to run about everything that's happening in that situation. It's the quickest way to be found guilty. Until then, you are likely innocent. But when you open your mouth, when you, when you, when you turn, return evil for evil, when you turn reviling for reviling, when you don't say good things, when you don't say true things, that is the quickest way to be found guilty in any situation. Up until that point, you might have been right. You might have been justified because that person harmed you. That person did wrong. But you lose every bit of justification when you begin to act like that. They acted towards you. Someone wronged you with their words and you wronged them back, then they have a case against you. But if when wronged, you only return blessing and peace, there is no case to be made. Being secure in Christ and having peace in this life allows you to walk out of evil situations without having to do damage control based on what you did or said. Wouldn't it be nice that if in the next situation where someone wrongs you, you are so secure in Christ that at the end of it, you look back and say, I couldn't and wouldn't change anything about my response. How often do we do that? How often are we able to walk out of situations and say, you know what? There's nothing I would have done differently. Not very, right? Not very often. This is not something accomplished in the flesh, though, friends. This is a spiritual act that can only be accomplished by the indwelling of the Spirit of God and the working of the Spirit of God and, on our part, the surrender to the Spirit of God. It takes brotherly love. It takes a unified mind. It takes sympathy towards the other person's situation. It takes humility. And I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. What was the, what was the fourth one? Anyway, Blake can't either, so I feel, good, I feel better about myself. But the first thing is deciding before commenting, before returning fire, or even before the next situation arises, that through the Spirit of God, I will only speak what is good and true. I will bless when I'm not being blessed. I will only speak what is good and true. Again, these are high standards. But if you set low standards, you will only accomplish low goals. 
If you set high standards, even if you fail, you will likely surpass the low goals that you might have set in the first place. These commitments are not easy. If they were, everyone would be doing them. They take redeemed people, secure in Christ, and relying on his power. Commitment three, I'm going to bless when I'm, I'm, going to bless when I'm not being blessed. I'm only going to say good and true things. I'm going, to act in a whole, I'm going to act in a holy way during all circumstances. I'm going to act in a holy way during all circumstances. Look at verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Not only will I not fire shots from afar with my tongue, but I'm also not going to engage in hand-to-hand combat by returning evil in my actions, by returning evil with evil in my actions. Instead, my best rebuke against an evil person is to disarm them with love, is to disarm them by returning good as often as I have strength, and to do my best to rely on the Lord's help in all situations, but especially when I don't have the strength to return evil with good. There will be times to fight in the Christian life, friends. There will be times to return blows. If someone is robbing me or trying to harm you or my family, you best bet I'm going to do everything possible. And I mean everything possible to stop them. If I'm defending the innocent and the voiceless, you best bet my tactics will change. But I should never let the end game change. And the end game is to turn away from evil and do good. To seek peace to seek unity, to act sympathetically, to show love, to be tender, which is that one we were looking for a minute ago, and to be humble. Christians should not be whipping posts. We should not get run over at every turn. We should be strong. We should be courageous, and we should be brave, but we should be so secure in Christ and so trusting in our salvation that we understand that he will make a way when evil is being acted upon us, and we don't force our own way through. Friends, I want you to know you will never have to do wrong to make things right and be able to honor the Lord at the same time. You will never have to do the wrong things to make a wrong situation right and, di- and be, able to dis- be able to honor the Lord at the same time. And if you find yourself acting in an evil or ungodly way or even a, a way that you know or others know is wrong to make things right, then when it's over and when you're out of it, don't thank the Lord for it because he didn't help you get there. He does not approve or help us do things that dishonor him, even if it is for our earthly good in the end. I'm going to be a blessing when I'm not blessed. I'm going to speak good and true words. I am not going to physically return evil for evil. I'm going to act in a godly manner. And the fourth is this. I'm going to trust the Lord to hear my prayers. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Something that I realized at some point in my life, and I hope that you have too, but if you haven't, I hope you do soon. Those who enact evil upon the Christian will never win in any significant way. 
And those who are in Christ will always win in every significant way. And the more quickly I realize that the more quickly I experience the blessing of God now and not later. The greatest blessing we have as Christians comes in the future hope of being with Jesus Christ for all eternity. But that's only a part of it. A major part of our blessing, a major part of God's plan is that we become so secure and so strong in him that we are mostly, hear me, we become so secure and so strong in Christ that we are mostly unoffendable people. That we are mostly unaffected by outside influence and outside things. <clears throat> this is how you can look at the life you live, the commitment that you make to Christ. This is how you can look at your response to difficulties and troubles. And you can basically measure how committed you are to trusting Christ. Because the more committed you are to trusting Christ, the least or the less affected you are by outside uh, actions upon you. A major part of God's plan is that we become so secure and strong in him that we are mostly unaffected by outside influence, outside situations. That we are mostly unfazed by what is going on around us. That situations in our lives don't just creep up on us and destroy us and set us back every time they occur. Sure, we are human. Sure, we will face setbacks. Sure, we will be caught off guard when people act in evil ways towards us, when those old sins and old thoughts and old actions creep up again. Sure, we'll be caught up off guard. But we can't be crushed every single time if we are growing in Christ. If we are committed to him, if we trust him, if we are secure in him, we will not be crushed every single time. How do I know this? How do I know that we have the capacity to do good when evil is done to us, to speak good things when they are not spoken to us, to bless when we are blessed? Because I know, and the Bible confirms it, that the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and he hears their prayers, and that the prayers of the enemy fall silent, and the weapons of the enemy are powerless, because they are not uh, they do not have the same effect and power that the Spirit of God has. I know that my prayers are heard. And I know that the God who hears me is strong and mighty and answers those prayers accordingly. Do you know how to pray prayers of faith? Do you want to know how to pray prayers of faith? You're going to be disappointed in the answer because it's too simple. You live a life of faith, trusting in the God who loves you and hears you and is attentive to your prayers. Do you know how to live a life of faith? Do you know how to live a life of faith? You believe that there is no one better equipped and no one more attentive to your cries. And so you go to God in prayer daily. Hourly, by the minute, by the second. You go to him when you don't want to bless others. You go to him when you, don't, when you want to speak evil instead of good. You go to him when you want to act in an ungodly or evil way to get yourself out of a situation or make yourself feel better about a situation. Believers, we always win because Christ, our, because God through Christ always hears our prayers 
And he answers them with the same power and the same might that raised Jesus from the dead. You might say, what if a person is acting in an evil way as a professing Christian? Our verse in Psalm 31 says that the Lord is on the side of the righteous. So firstly, the Lord is on the side of those who are in Christ and have his righteousness. So if you're in Christ, the Lord is on your side. But secondly, those who are acting righteously. When met with a choice of doing right or doing good or doing something else, don't assume that the Lord is on your side in whatever you choose. The Lord is on the side of those who are righteous in him, but also those who are acting righteously. Wayne Grudem summarizes verses 8 through 12 this way. Finally, all of you be like-minded, loving towards one another, compassionate and humble. Not returning evil for evil but rev- or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. For you have been called to such a righteous life in order that by this righteous living you may obtain God's blessing on your life. For in the Psalms, God promises blessings to those who live righteously. I want to give you three, um, when we commit to these behaviors, I want to give you three results really quickly, I promise. Three results when we commit to these behaviors. The line of blessing cannot be broken. That's one result of committing to a life of Christ. Committing to be a blessing even when not blessed. Committing to not speak evil but only speak good. Committing to not do evil. Committing to trust the Lord to hear your prayers. When you do those things and and several more throughout your life naturally and some things you have to learn, the line of blessing cannot be broken. You will be generally unaffected by other people. You will be generally not as bothered as you used to be. You will be generally not as set back as you used to be, not as knocked down, not as uh, backpedaling, you know, that boxer who's been hit and just trying to figure out if he wants to go on or not. You will be generally unaffected. Friends, I want to tell you, the only thing that is preventing the blessings of God The line of the blessings of God from being broken in your life is you and your response to difficult times. Because God has already promised to pour out his blessings. He promises to pour out his mercy every morning. He promises to pour out his blessings upon us according to his riches and not from his riches. He could give us just a little blessings, but he says, I'm going to give you all the blessings. I can promise you the line of blessing cannot be broken by anyone else but yourself. When we commit to these behaviors, the line of blessing cannot be broken. When we commit to behavior, the life of peace can be attained. Knowing that I approach situations in a godly manner, that I'm not consistently uh, picking up the pieces, is the first level of peace that's found in God. Knowing that the weight of what someone might say or do won't stick with me quite as long. Knowing that my response to them won't be harmful to them or won't make me regret the situation in the end. The knowledge that I have God with me, that he hears me, that he's greater than the one that is against me. (coughs) That the trouble I'm facing will be temporary if not if not just very momentarily it will end when I die or when I'm with him a life of peace can be attained 
when I commit to returning cursing with blessing, when I commit to not speaking evil or doing evil, doing good and speaking good. And the last little thing, when I commit to these behaviors, the reward is guaranteed on this earth and beyond. The line of blessing cannot be broken. The life of peace can be attained. And the reward is guaranteed on this earth and beyond. Peter says that you may obtain blessing. He said this is what you're called to do. You're called to bless when you are cursed. You're called to repay good when evil is acted upon you. The the result of that is that you may receive blessing. The result of following the prescription and behavior of verses 8 and 9 is immediate and lasting. Not only salvifically, we have blessing, we have hope eternally, but it's immediate and lasting blessing on this earth. What are some of those blessings? I'm going to go through these quickly. You're not going to be able to write them down. If you want them later, you can have them. 1 Peter 1 through 8 says, unspeakable joy. 1 Peter 1 8 says, unspeakable joy. 1 Peter 1 9 says, we have the benefits of salvation. 1 Peter 1 17 says, we avoid the discipline of the Father. 1 Peter 2 2 says, we grow up toward salvation. 1 Peter 2 19 and 20 say, we have God's approval. 1 Peter 3 1 through 2 says, the husband will be one to Christ. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, husbands' prayers will not be hindered. 1 Peter 4, 14 says, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. 1 Peter 5, 7, he will take care of our needs. 1 Peter 9, 10, God will restore and establish and strengthen you. And these and many more. The blessings are there. The power is there. If we are in Christ, we must resolve to take them up. And we take them up when we commit to being a blessing when we're cursed. To not speaking or doing evil. To not speaking, to only speaking and doing good. As often as we can. Knowing that we will fail. But still trusting that the Lord will get us there. And then trusting that our prayers are heard. I've said all I can say. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We know that your plans, even though sometimes tumultuous, even even though sometimes difficult, are good for us. They're helpful. But not only helpful, they're life. We pray, Lord, that you would give us strength and power to set some commitments, to set some goals, to accomplish those every day of our lives as often as possible. When we fail on those goals, to run back quickly and recalibrate ourselves and figure out how to do it again. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We know, we know very simply and very true that you are with us and this is the purpose for our life. And so we do that. We accept that and we do that. We commit to that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.